Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Best Piece of Advice Ever, the show in which I, Daniele Fiendaka, speak to creatives about the best piece of advice they have ever been given and the impact it has had on their lives. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Emma Gannon, who talks about a multi-hyphen careers, making and listening it into people's conversations. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Emma. I'm so delighted that you're here on the show. Uh, just to kick off, please could you tell our kind listeners who you are and what you do? I'm Emma Gannon. I'm an author, novelist now, and a podcaster. And I guess I self-describe as a multi-hyphenate because I do many different things. And so what do you? what would you say you're most famous for? I think probably the podcast, just because I started that about four years ago now, which seems like a lifetime in terms of podcasting. But I think because of its presence on iTunes and I don't know, maybe that is a place that people go now more often to kind of get things. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's my sort of home on the Internet at the moment. So probably my podcast, which is Control or Delete. And so what decided you to do the podcast? So my first book came out with Penguin. I was 26 wrote a book about my life um it was kind of a bit of a parody millennial memoir about growing up on the internet in the 90s and noughties and I noticed a lot of American authors who I loved were doing podcasts so like Elizabeth Gilbert, Brené Brown, those kinds of people and I mean basically it was a bit of a marketing tool um I definitely wanted to do it from a passion and creative kind of standpoint but at the same time I just thought they're promoting their books on podcasts, so I'm going to do that as well. And uh, yeah, I was going to do eight episodes, and I'm 250 down the line now. Which, which is, is funny, because we obviously know very well, we know the Squiggly career, we know uh, Bruce, and, and kind of, mm-hmm. for them, the podcast came first, and then the book. But for you, yeah. it was you. It was completely different. Well, every day, pretty much on the bookseller, which I'm addicted to, you know, the website that um, announced all the book deals, blah, blah, blah. But I go on there most days and there's normally one a week at the moment where a book is being announced and it's off the back of a podcast and I think that's really cool but yeah it's funny that people think it's that way around whenever I talk about mine and actually no go and buy the book (laughs) no one knows about the book how many podcasts now are you on Oh, I'm not sure, but definitely 200 and something. 200 and something. So I'm not going to ask you who your favourite guest was because I know who that was. Uh, but what are your favourite stories? I'd love to hear what, what have you learned from your podcast? Some of my favourite episodes, I suppose, are things that I'm taking away and actually putting into my daily life straight away because I think that means that the listener is getting something practical and, and I think the worst thing maybe for a episode is when it's so niche or it's so... Maybe it's too privileged or maybe it's slightly unrelatable and, you know, those will probably come up. But the ones where it's like, oh, actually, yeah, tomorrow morning I can wake up and maybe, you know, think this thought or have this feeling or put this into my life. And um, one that really speaks to me, I guess, is the one with Ava DuVernay, um, Oscar winning director. She had a career change at 40 and she worked in PR, I think. And then she basically has, you know, completely transformed her career. And that one really stood out because I think we are inundated with like success stories of young people, which is fine. But just hearing from someone a bit older who has like pivoted like that was really cool. So so my passion in the world life is no doubt it's film. So there's still a chance for me to go into the film industry. Is that what you're telling me? There's absolutely time. I mean, we are going to live a lot longer, hopefully, maybe, fingers crossed, than uh, other generations. And, like, we have have so much time. 
And we talked about, and it's something I know we're both passionate about, which is diversity. How do you go about making sure that you have a diverse set of voices on your podcast? Well, I'm probably not perfect, and I'm definitely working on it. And I, you know, if someone you know rallied up the numbers, I think I have some work to do. But I do think that. I want to make sure I'm spreading some sort of diversity in terms of like age, also background, obviously, and how people have got into the industry. Because I think when we talk about diversity, I think obviously we maybe think of race immediately, which is crucial, vital. But I think there's other ways as well. And actually, if you're telling the same story about the same person who like got a job in London and then went and did this, I think that's I mean, I'm really kind of over that now. Yeah. So let's let's go to the big question. So the the reason for the show. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given and by whom? God, this was really hard because I wrote down like five different pieces of advice because I'm a bit I'm big on writing down things in a journal, like things that have spoken to me. One thing I remember Catelyn Moran said is basically if you're warm like a lamp <laughs> in terms of personality or just who you are, people will gravitate to you. And I know that's not me saying that I'm like a great personality. It's not that. It's just be nice and be warm and treat people well. Because if you're cold and you're mean, no one will want to work with you. And I truly believe that we don't talk about that enough. Like, be nice. It's uh, National Kindness Day coming up. So I just think you know, kindness is such a, an important thing. And that's part of that warmness, right? Totally. And everyone that I choose to work with... Um, if I've if I'm ever in, ever in a position where I have to like maybe choose like maybe you're doing a book and you meet with like five different publishers or something, I think you go with the person you have the most amount of energy with, but also is is kind. I I really pick those things, and it doesn't really matter how impressive someone's CV is if they're not nice. And just uh, just listening to that advice though, did it did it just solidify what you already knew and what you're already doing or did you actually make some changes as a result of hearing that I think I made changes because also you are told conflicting things in business and maybe it's the like women's empowerment events I would go to and things like that which are great but sometimes you can get conflicted with the messages because we're all different there's not one way for a woman to be in business and I was it was sort of like the Sheryl Sandberg years where it was like be a boss and like tell people no and like don't put kisses on the end of your emails and and I'm like just be yourself actually well, basically to be a man yeah be a man and I mean, and not that all men are horrible either but it was just like be you know be blunt be aggressive go and get the promotion and i've just realized that i actually like working with people who are nice and i kind of want to be nice <laughs> I, I love that advice but you said you've got quite a few have you got any more you would like to share oh yes i've got one but i actually kind of stole it from elizabeth gilbert who is my icon in life um so she says you shouldn't listen to people in your life who are brutally honest basically being brutally honest is actually just harsh and there's a way to critique and there's a way to give f- feedback in, in in a kind way again but if someone is sitting you down and maybe it's a work colleague or it's a friend and they they just they're actually being quite mean actually about you um yeah it's it's like a disguised way of uh trying to put you down yeah, I I, I, I t- definitely see that. Although I, I would say there is, um, as someone that's been on an empathy journey myself, I think there is a skill set to it as well. So I don't think anyone that's being, everyone that's being brutally honest is trying to put people down. Yeah. I think they maybe don't have the skills to do it in a way. Uh, there's a great book called Radical Candor. And I think that's really helped me 
understand where I need to move uh, within that kind of empathy piece because I also see how ruinous empathy and not telling people the truth can also be really harmful. Yes, and that's a really good point because, yeah, I don't think she's saying like cut them out immediately, but I think if you have a if you have someone in your life who constantly is just like yeah, tr- being yeah, the, yeah. like being that sort of devil's advocate, brutally honest, it's like actually how much is that something you want to take on? And it's the negative energy, isn't it? Yes. it it's that being hit constantly and yeah, the yeah, impact yeah. it has on you. Yeah, and maybe it's a broader piece of advice then that you know sometimes um, sometimes negative energy. You need to stay away from it a bit. Yeah, yeah. How important is advice? I mean, you were talking previously about some of the bad advice you've had, and you know the impact that might have about being a being an assertive woman. You know, how how do you cut through what the good advice is, and how you filter out the stuff that isn't great advice? Well, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how much advice you're given. You can pay, you know, a thousand pounds a day for a career coach. You still have to make decisions by yourself ultimately, and you still have your own like inner radar of what's going on. So advice is fine, but I actually weirdly have a strange relationship with it now after doing a book that's essentially a self-help book. My book is not a quick fix, and I never said it was. And yes, the cover probably says, pick this up and it will do this, this and this. But, it, it, you know, it's a lifelong journey. You can read a book. A book can change your life, but but it cannot do anything for you overnight. And I think I don't want to play into that sort of, sort of like quick fix advice economy. And I really have a different relationship with the self-help industry now. So, um, yeah, I, I, that, that's sort of my relationship with it. And so you talked about um, you've got multi-hyphen career. Can you talk about the different elements of it? And I know you're now at the Sunday Times as a columnist on Sunday Times. You know, what, what does it look like having all these pieces and how do you manage those? So the multi-hyphen method really is just for people maybe on the peripheries who just don't feel like they fit in. I don't know if it is for everyone. And I, I don't know if it's controversial to say. I don't think everyone wants to be or should be an entrepreneur. Like, it's not a no. life choice for everyone. So... I think I think people might have got confused that they thought my book was like the manifesto for like how we should all work. Yeah. It's totally not. It's like for us, probably a select few, to be honest. Um, but essentially, it just means you don't have one job by choice or not by choice. You have a setup where you have about three to five different income streams. And also you maybe chop and change your mind quite a bit. There's so many of us who... Actually, our our brains work better when we are doing multiple things. It's not the same as multitasking, um, but it's definitely having a career that just, you know, is squiggly, I suppose, like the squiggly career girls. And so just to bring that to life, what are your three to five income streams? What does that look like in real life? So I have the podcast, which is like a kind of business of its own at the moment. Um, I've got my writing and my columns and my articles. I've got you know speaking as a stream I suppose and then the novels that I'm writing and I guess it's under the umbrella of storytelling but the multi-hyphen method book really isn't about me necessarily I'm not I'm not I'm not saying like here's how to do it I interviewed many people who were like chefs and podcast hosts and a, a flight um attendant who is also a painter like it's it's basically for anyone that doesn't want to feel trapped yeah, so I mean, we talked about it quite a lot in terms of initially we talked about we had a session called By Day By Night, just looking at the people that had their jobs on the side, which, you know, some people at the beginning of the journey and some people would actually, their by night became their by day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting for us, you know, we as Utopia, we only want to hire part time people simply because 
you know, I think it's really important to have that extra stimulus and do something different as opposed to stay in one single role. Yeah. I mean, Bruce Daisley shared with me the other day a piece of research that said that people with side hustles are actually more engaged with their full time job. I mean, not necessarily that everyone should have a side hustle because I wouldn't want to put that extra pressure on anyone. But the point being, if you're an employer and your colleague or your employee has a side hustle, like let let them do it if they want to do it. It makes everyone a bit happier to have like a passion project on the side, I think. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, as you know very well, I recently covered a book called Creative Superpowers. Which explores, I know it well. <laughs> which explores <laughs> maker, as we have four superpowers, maker, hacker, teacher and thief. Which one do you most resonate with? I think maker. I just like making things. So making, but that's that's interesting when you say making. But what kind of things? So I think I think a lot of people think when you say make it, it has to be something physical. Um, well, I guess maker, as in, ugh, I don't really like the term content creator, but I'm always making and like coming up with things. I also I'm in this f- like phase at the moment where I'd rather be making than promoting. So obviously, when you do a book, you have to you know do the rounds and talk and talk and talk and talk about your work. I just want to make the work and I want people to read it and I don't want to do endless book festivals. <laughs> I want to write the next one. So I think at the heart of it, um, yeah, I'm a maker. As we know very well in our little Authors Anonymous group, unfortunately just writing it doesn't mean anyone reads it. Exactly. And that's why, unfortunately, I'm not just sitting at home making things. <laughs> but what do you think? I mean, I think there are some people who just seem to don't make anything but just seem to do the other bit of just talking and curating and talking about other people's stuff do you have any thoughts around that I mean that's a career in itself now I suppose but I suppose it goes back to the question about advice how can people make a career out of giving advice when they're not really making things so yeah I think we're in a weird place but my advice really is make stuff own things create things have something to say if you're in this particular industry especially and don't just rely on having a platform if you've got nothing really to put on the platform yeah. um, because as we know the platforms are changing every day and so a lot of your thinking certainly of some of the articles that I've seen you shared you are doing much more thinking around productivity the impact on technology on human beings on the future of the workplace to a certain extent where do you see things at the moment where where, where what does the landscape look like for you well it's interesting because I think I started writing the multi-hyphen method like three years ago four years ago maybe and that's when I had just left an office job and like I saw glaring issues uh firsthand but I've now been self-employed since that time and I don't know things might have changed I don't know what it's like I don't work in an office anymore I'm very much you know flexible digital nomadi type that very I feel very privileged but I do my own thing now and it's brilliant so I don't really have as much to say on that stuff anymore and all I do is give sort of other people space to talk about it on my platforms now on the podcast although you do have a lot to say about out of office emails (laughs) yes I do um I do but also can I say another thing I've learned this year that people react to the boundaries you set and for so long I'd put an out of office on but people would go "Mm, she's really online though we know she'll reply like Emma doesn't really believe in out of offices and so I'm constantly it's my own fault because I'm replying I've now experienced the other side of that where I do not reply when my out of office is on. Well, I might have done to you, maybe. Um, (laughs) And people are like, oh, cool. And they totally respect it. So I think the lesson is you are in control of the boundaries. So don't break them. It's 100%. 
that piece has still inspired me to write a piece. I want to talk about the beauty of our offices, I and mean, we have a yours are good. We, we 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 actually have a competition to see who can do the best out of office every time. Coming back to your point, we try and use out of offices for stories, yeah, so that people do get something that is interesting. They might get a link to a story, a quote, or something. So you're actually adding value to them as opposed to just saying, I'm out of the office, sorry, contact me in a week. Yeah. It actually gives them something that makes them smile. I think anything you can do that just makes people smile is great. And uh, and I always love coming back and seeing how many responses I get to that. People saying, thank you, I love that. It was really good. I really like that. And is it is it your emails that have a little disclaimer that say we might not reply? It is. Because I reference that a lot to people. Yeah. I, I always say check that out because it's really good. It's boundary setting, but it's also just informative. Well, I think it's just recognising, you know, that, that we all work very differently and we work flexibly. So... You know, my business partner works on a Sunday night. Uh, I don't work on a Sunday night. So just recognising mm-hmm. how those two things work is really important. So, uh, and, you know, you can set a rule, and I have done this before in my previous company, where because one of my team members just responded immediately, I just stopped sending emails at night, and I did it in the morning, so they couldn't respond. Uh, but what that meant is actually I sometimes forgot to send emails. So I set my draft box. So that wasn't efficient either. So just to your point, just being able to get people to set those boundaries and understand what's right and what isn't, I think is fundamental. And I think the key, we do a lot of training around emails. Uh, The key thing is emails were never intended for urgent. No. And that's that's the thing that I think a lot of organisations get wrong. And, you know, the minute emails are for urgent, it's no wonder so many people have anxiety because that next email could be something that all of a sudden just completely changes their day. And we all know that study about the rats in the lab. You know, we've all been conditioned to refresh, refresh. That's why I like Slack, though, because we have notifications on between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Then all notifications turn off. So if I email someone at midnight because I want to get it off my chest, which I know is selfish on an email, would never do that. But on Slack... They won't see it until the morning anyway, yeah. so it's and good. I think, that's, I think that's really important. Yeah, no, definitely. New tools are needed. So if we look at creativity, and rather than just talk about the workplace, what do you think the barriers are to creativity for us as people? Uh, whether we're working you know, flexibly, whether we're working as a freelancer or the multi-hyphen, or you know, having a multi-hyphen career, or whether we're working in the workplace. What gets in the way of creativity? And actually before even, what is your definition of creativity? God, I don't know if I've ever been asked that. It's one of those words that you sort of just know in and out. Um, I think creativity is just to create and it really can be as simple as that. And I would boil it down to even if you put some flowers in a vase and like arrange them nicely, you've created something. Getting dressed in the morning for me is like creative. Like I just love putting things on, like wearing different glasses every day. I don't know, it's, it's like literally anything where you create. I mean, it's interesting you talk about how you feel. So it's kind of like you're, you are putting a uniform on for what you want to be that day. Yeah. I think I just, human beings are like, we literally create from our bodies. Like we give birth, we build things, we make things. Like everything that I'm looking at right now has been made by a human. It's kind of amazing. But I think also, I think people don't recognise enough how important creativity on the day to day in terms of just having ideas to solve problems. Yeah, and I think we are creative without even thinking about it. Like, you know, any email we write, any message we send on WhatsApp, any emoji we pick, it's like we are crea- we're being creative. And uh, I think everyone is creative. That's something that I 
really believe. You know, when you have people in suits in corporations who are like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm like, you are, but someone along the way told you you can't be. Yeah, totally. That's what I think. I mean, we we often go into businesses and ask people to put their hands up if they're creative and no one puts their hands up. Really? Yeah, but yet, you know, you put some Lego out, ask them to build yeah. something and they'll build something really creative. I bet they're on a dance floor on a Friday night dancing. Yeah. Creating some moves. Yeah, giving them a a brief and give them the time to think about it and come up with ideas as all of a sudden they come up with fantastic ideas and I think we just have to re-engage you know kind of turn on that kind of childlike mind and you know what it was to be like a child yeah and so back to your original question I guess I would say the barriers to creativity is confidence and I think back to I mean I'm quite confident person I feel very lucky that I was given very much I was very much told at school I had a voice told by everyone in my family that I had a voice I you know I am not someone that holds back but I remember my first ever job in an agency and you know those environments are quite scary and everyone's like creatives and you've got to come up with really big ideas for clients and stuff like that and I remember being in one of those brainstorms and you know when they get the interns in because they're normally the ones that will come up with the ideas no I'm joking um so I was in the corner of this meeting room and they were like Emma what's your idea and I could not speak. It was like my it was like my voice box closed over. Like I was so I just I was mute. I had no voice. And in that moment I realised like I just had no confidence to tell my ideas. So it's no use having them if you feel like you can't share them. So I think confidence is is a massive thing. And what did you do to shift that? I think you've got to get past the embarrassment of having the bad ideas. Cause you know when you're in a brainstorm and you're and you come up with your crazy idea and and the room goes silent and then someone (laughs) coughs and then someone leaves the room and then someone writes it on a whiteboard like "Mm mm-hmm yeah look great anyway and so I think you have to have quite a few of those and then it's the tumble tumbleweed moment right it's just (laughs) like literally okay that one's not gonna work and that's I think that's what our careers are some things work and some things don't and then sometimes you know I'm the one that has come up with the idea that's in the pitch but they're rare but you've got to keep going. You do have to keep going. And I also think environment's really important. You know, we used to run an agency where one pitch we went into, one of the ideas was from the receptionist and one was from the IT support guy. And I remember te- I remember telling the advertising, the, the, the campaign, which is the advertising magazine at the time, they said, you need better creatives. And you're like, we won that pitch. You know, it's just like literally. Yeah. And so I think creating that culture where everyone can have ideas, I think is really important. Yeah, definitely. And no bad idea. You know, I do believe that there is no such thing as like really, really bad art necessarily. It's just art that's there that some people don't like. We don't operate in that sphere anymore, but we we do look at that from senior management teams. And what we're talking about is psychological safety is the safety just to say something without being judged. You know, and I think I was talking about in a podcast earlier today, you know, the best piece of advice, I'm not sure I even shared on the show, but the best piece of advice I've ever been given was it's better to be wrong and interesting than right and boring. Mm, I so agree with that. And because because you never learn from being right. Mm-hmm. You learn nothing. Yes, and that's something that I've been reminded of recently with uh, some Jamie Bartlett, the, the host of the Missing Crypto Queen. He's just this amazing author. He reminded me that the actual meaning of liberal is that bouncing ideas off each other, right and wrong, discussing, discussing, discussing. I never knew that. <laughs> people think liberal is just like le- like left wing, like a very kind of a, this thing where we all have to think the same yes. liberal just means like bouncing around ideas yeah okay very good and so talking of creativity how do you get your inspiration my inspiration definitely comes from real life so uh, I'm a massive 
earwigger. I overhear conversations and I actually sometimes go out to do that. I'll sit in a cafe. Really? Yeah. The other day, because I've written this novel, there's about a four group of friends who um, are all in their 30s and all have different experiences of motherhood. And I was sat in a cafe the other day and this wasn't planned, but there was a, there was a group of women and they were really being honest about their lives and their boyfriends and their husbands and their everything. And, you know, obviously it's anonymous. I would never, they will never know. <laughs> um, but I was, they've just gone into the book. Amazing. Some of it. So I think overhearing conversations is my favourite thing. I love hotel lobbies of like fancy hotels because you've got all these like entrepreneurial types telling you all their ideas. <laughs> um, so that's quite funny. And then also going to the pub with friends. What's people, you know, what is everyone thinking? What's going on? So if I, I love, I love if I ever go into a hotel and you're just sitting there. I know what you're doing now. Yeah, and you know you're what just, I do sometimes? I put my AirPods in with no music. No way. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I know. I don't know if this is illegal, but all I do is take some little sparks from conversations. It's fine. But do, you, so, so, do you ever get tempted to get into that conversation? Sometimes. I mean, I was overhearing a conversation the other day in New York and it was literally, I, thought, I think it was the guy who did Fire Festival. Like it was this guy who was coming up with this like, like selling in this idea that would never, ever be able to happen. I did want to turn around and just say... I did the other day, and so they were talking about that. So I think they were talking about Secret Cinema or something. They were asking what it was, and I love Secret Cinema. I've been to at least twenty of them. And so I had to, I had to just say, oh, and just give a quick lowdown. I just think they thought I was mad. I like no, that's I think and we, they, they we just, need to do more but they, of that. But, I know, I, but they just the reaction I got was like, what? <laughs> yeah, but I also think there was that kind of level of that conversation was private but in so you know I mean, it's, it's, like so you club, it's impossible to have a private conversation you're like on the sofa with other people it's yeah it's impossible <laughs> to have a private conversation and you've got to be really careful in there <laughs> <laughs> and i was only trying to do it to help but yeah, yes i think yeah. i think that idea of um just having people connecting in different ways i think it's really interesting that does show how far we've come from a community you know just it does popping your head in having a chat hello neighbor it's like excuse me it's private <laughs> And I think I think it's really interesting because I did a lot of work uh, with Hyper Island, so looking at mm. digital and digital, you know, this oh, idea yeah. of privacy. And I think the first ever session I did, I think it was Mark, um, said to me, uh, he just told me a story, and he fundamentally said, if you look at privacy, it's a relatively new thing, because if you go back to a hundred years when we lived in little villages, we lived in tribes we lived in you know there was no such thing as privacy mm. everyone knew everything about everyone and he said what if we're just going back to what we always were before except all of a sudden the privacy's at a global level because we're all connected that's the thing because actually i would say it's gone the other way in lots of ways where for example all these scandals that are coming out now around me too and things like that that was in a time where they we didn't have twitter and they people could get away with more and so now actually there is no such thing as privacy in many ways yeah. No, but I think that's that was his point. We've just got, we've just got to accept there's no such thing as privacy. Right. Right. Um, what's exciting about this year? So this year, I'm really excited because the multi hyphen methods being published in America in April uh, under the multi hyphen life, and uh, I I redid all the research, I tweaked it, I chopped bits out, got new quotes. Um, so yeah, it feels like a really big deal because I love American bookshops. I love walking around Barnes and Noble. I love New York and I'm going to do a little sort of tour around there. And I, I just feel like it's a big achievement because I've never had a book published there and it's a big, a big place. So, yeah, yeah, it's a very big place. <laughs> so when you say you redid it and you refreshed it, was that specifically with American stories? 
Yes, with American case studies, and you know there are some cultural differences around work, and you know things like the healthcare setup being different there. You know how I had to take that into account talking about freelancing. It's it, we're we're quite lucky here, you know, because we have the NHS. We don't have to think in detail about where's our insurance coming from. Those sorts of things. I just wanted to make sure I didn't just gloss over. And yeah, just interviewing people that that live over there. But um, a lot of it did translate already. So do you know Rosie and Ferris Jacob? No. So they're both digital nomads. They're actually in the Creative Superpowers book. Uh, But they were just, they're based in the States. And they were just telling me how much it cost them as digital, as people that travel so much. They travel over the maximum you're meant to do. So they have to have two health insurance policies. Wow. And the cost of that, so the cost of just living that lifestyle is horrendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you you kind of see just, the, you know, for them to break even, and they've got to bring quite a lot of money in just to make sure they stay, stay healthy. Exactly. And I think the interesting thing for me about the book, and I guess what we were just talking about, where it's far more interesting to bring up the conversations, is I don't think I have the answers, and I would never claim to, but I think what, the book is doing and I'm so happy to be a part of it is the debates the conversation the the ideas that are being sparked how do we change things I think that's why I'm proud of the book not necessarily here is a guidebook to fix your life because that's not possible so it's going to be interesting I think fantastic I'm going to ask you my final question what's the one question you would like me to ask today oh what was the question oh um how was your holiday Where did you go? I just got back from a ski trip. Oh, lovely. <laughs> no, I just, um, I don't know, that was my joke response. But <laughs> I think I'm really obsessed with um, having time off at the moment. No, I think that's really important. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think for a long time, I felt so lucky to do what I do because I really love my job. But every single trip was work. So people are like, oh, you're always away. But I hadn't had a holiday for like three years. So I think... Have just not being on my phone for a week was like a big thing recently. So do you know Pip Jameson? Yes. So Pip talks about, I think every two months she takes a week off. Of that. Because she works, I know how much she works, she works yeah. so hard. And you can see her when sometimes she's missed that week and I might bump into her, you can see she just, how much she feels it mm. and how much she needs it. And you know, I'll be honest, my business partner has told me she's, she's going to be forcing me to do holidays because people can actually see what what impact it has on you 100%. and how much less productive you are and come back to that point that you were saying about energy in the room and being positive you know that more stressed you are the harder it is to be that person so yep. it's not just the impact on yourself it's the impact on everyone else around you absolutely i get really snappy when i haven't had a holiday and i don't want to be snappy and so yeah it's a good reminder and also if your job which many of our jobs Uh, actually exist because we're ideas people how are you going to come up with ideas if you are completely exhausted you won't so it's important well anyone that's listening if you haven't booked your holiday yet do it now yeah and it doesn't have to be by the way you know some big fancy holiday i know you know is hard to get away so a holiday could be a holiday in your mind (laughs) going for a walk going on a staycation going for a weekend away without your phone going to the park yeah it's it's just having that time for yourself thanks emma i've loved chatting again together thank you and hope we get to do it again soon me too thanks thank so much. you if you enjoyed today's show then do show us some love by tweeting your comments to at we are utopians 
or at yellyf with a hashtag BPOAE or just connect with me, Daniele Fiendarka, on LinkedIn. We would welcome feedback or any suggestions for future guests. And hello to Jason Isaacs.